morning. We are in Genesis 5. We're going, we've done creation, fall, so we're in the flood uh, for the next, this and two more studies, and then we'll get to the nations. So Genesis chapter 5, and uh, I'm going to ask if you would just stand. I'd like to read. They did this in Nehemiah, so I think it's great. We, we honor God's word, stand. I'll read just a few verses, and uh, we'll get into it. So in Genesis 5, verse 1, this is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. After that, he begot, after he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years and he had sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Let's pray. So, Lord, I've prepared some things, Lord, and trusting that by your Holy Spirit, your living word would go out now and feed us. We're hungry. Lord, we're looking to you, the author and the finisher of our faith, to write on our hearts your truth, that we might stand under them in obedience and humility, led by your Holy Spirit, even as we're listening and then, Lord, that you would take these things and help us, Lord, to grow. Grow in our faith. Grow in our testimony. Lord, that we'd walk with you like we're going to talk about this, this morning, just to walk with God. We want to walk with you in harmony and enjoying the fellowship we have, understanding, Lord, the grace that's ours in Christ Jesus. So please, Lord, bless our time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. And so this genealogy of Adam... Not all the family names are given as we go through this genealogy, and really the genealogies in the Bible many times. And these names that are given are not necessarily to the firstborn. Seth was not Adam's firstborn. Abel was. We read repeatedly, as we just did, they had sons and daughters. The important names are the ones that take us to Jesus. Can I have an amen? So the genealogies are all bringing us to Jesus. So the ones that are continuing are the ones that take us to him and the ones that are sort of phasing out uh, don't matter. So you see Adam to Noah, Noah to Abraham, Abraham to David, David to Jesus Christ. And so really the Bible is giving us the lineage leading up to the Savior of the world, who is Jesus Christ, who God promised and prophesied way back when man first fall, fell in Genesis 3.15. So it's interesting what you'll find out. And I have some uh, cards up here that have the genealogies, sort of the, the timeline on them. And there's interesting things as you look at them. And these guys lived a long time. I'm glad we're not living that long. I'll be happy to go home and be with the Lord. But, uh, you know, we're talking seven, eight, nine hundred years. You find out that Adam and Lamech, who was Noah's father, were alive together for about 50 years. You find out that Noah and Abraham, or Abram at that time, were also living at the same time for about 50 years. You find out that Shem, who was Noah's son, outlived Abram by about 30 years. So there are a lot of things in there just in looking at this timeline, if you're interested, uh, that you can have fun with. But here's the deal. From the fall, from the creation through the fall, was really only two generations. And the fantastic thing is, even if there were 200 generations, God wrote it in the book. So these things are recorded, as it says there in Genesis 5.1. The book of the genealogy of Adam. God has given to us a written account. 
of, of these things that we have way back now in Genesis chapter 5, this book of the genealogy of Adam. Now, there's a sad note, a couple sad notes, actually, as we read chapter 5. The first one is that sin coming into the world marred the image of God in man. And so we find in verse 1, it says, this is the book of the genealogy of Adam, in the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God, called him mankind. But then we read chapter 5, verse 3, Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own image, after his image, and it says, and named him Seth. So sin marred the image of God in us. It's still there. We're still creating the image of God, but sin, it's, it's a sad thing. The second, another sad note, is that when sin came into the world, it brought death. So I'm not going to go through it, but if you look at the genealogy through chapter 5, I want to stop on one particularly, but this is what you'll read. It's, it's a summarized genealogy. Somebody lived, somebody begot, so forth. After he begot him, he had sons and daughters, and he died. So he lived, he begot, he died. He lived, he begot, he died. And that's what happens. That's the genealogy of mankind. But we get this, this, uh, this exception in chapter 5, verse 21. His name is Enoch. It says, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. Now, Methuselah lived longer than any of them. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, that's exciting to me. He did not, as we'll find in Hebrews, he did not experience death. So there's this wonderful exception in chapter 5. There's also another beautiful exception in chapter 6. We'll look at it in a moment. But as far as this guy Enoch, it's not the same Enoch that you'll find in Genesis 4. In Genesis 4, there's an Enoch who's the oldest son of Cain who had a city named after him. This is a different Enoch. In Hebrews chapter 11, if you would turn there, it'd be great. Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 5, and we have, interestingly, in Hebrews 11, 5, and 6 are about Enoch. Hebrews 11, 7 is about Noah, the two that I want to talk to you about this morning, these exceptions in the midst of the fall and here, in this case, before the flood. So, Hebrews 11.5, the writer writes this. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found. Now, when he was taken away, you can imagine, he's been around for 390-something years. You can imagine all of his family. What happened to Enoch? I don't know. I thought he was saying go down to 7-Eleven, but he hasn't come back yet. And so they're going, well, what happened to him? And they say he was not found. They're looking all over for him, saying, what happened? He was not found. Why? Because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony. In Enoch, we have a testimony of someone who pleased God. Enoch was that man. In the midst of this, this exception, glorious exception, for before he was taken, he had this testament that he pleased God. Notice now. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must first believe that he is. So the question is, who do you believe that God is? Now, you can have a lot of beliefs about God. 
The question is, is it the God who's revealed himself to us in the Bible? That's the God that Enoch knew this is who he is. He knew, he said, he who comes to God must first be that he is, and in knowing who he really is, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Can I hear an amen? In other words, God's not saying be perfect. He's saying seek me. Look for me. But, you know, you can seek after a lot of other gods. The question is, are you seeking after the God of the Bible, the God that Enoch walked with? And so, look at Jude chapter 14. Well, not chapter, Jude 14. There are no chapters, one chapter. And this is after Hebrews, go a couple books. Jude 14. Again, Enoch. Now, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, genealogy, prophesied. He was a prophet. He prophesied about these men also. These are wicked, false teachers, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly, among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against God. So Enoch was not just walking with God and pleasing God. Part of what his testimony was, he was speaking to them for God about their wickedness. He was standing as a spokesman for God. So when we look at Enoch's life, simple, as it has here, before the flood, and brothers and sisters, we'll look at this in a moment, there's another flood coming, not of water, but of fire. There's another judgment coming. What are we to do before that comes? Walk with God. Walk with him. Walk in harmony with him. Know his will. Know his heart. And walk with him. And so Enoch walked with God by faith. That's our walk with him. It's by faith that we walk with God. It's faith in who he's shown himself to be. It's faith in what he's revealed to us as how that works. How do we have a relationship with God and walk with him? It's by faith. We are believing that God himself desires that relationship, that God has provided for us to escape judgment and, and have a relationship with him that is sure and steadfast and is anchored in the things of God in, behind the veil. God's provided them for us. So it says Enoch in walking with God then was taken by God. Listen, one day we will be taken by God and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the promise, and that's the power that God... And so Enoch did not see death. In a sense, we who believe in Jesus Christ will not see death. Jesus said, he who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So Enoch becomes for us a picture, a testimony. He had this testimony, please God. He becomes a testimony of two things for the believer. Number one, the rapture of the church. There's coming a time for some, we read about this in Thessalonians, when God will take his church out, and the word is violently snatch out of this wicked world and bring judgment on the world. But before he does, it, God will not judge the righteous with the wicked. It's against his nature. He will not do that. So in 1 Thessalonians, if you have your Bible, again, turn to 1 Thessalonians 4. Not if you have your Bible. You do have your Bible. <laughs> Verse 16, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And notice, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. I say, amen, Lord, I'm ready to be taken. And in that case, they won't see the physical death that most of us will experience should the Lord tarry. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, important scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation, how? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the wrath of God has been appeased through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And we who believe now have escaped that judgment by faith in Christ. I say amen to that too. Jesus said, therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. There will be coming, as we'll see in another moment, Jesus talked about it. As in the days of Noah, they're just going on with life, judgment came. The same thing that we're reading about and will be for the next two studies about Noah. Now, Enoch not only testifies to the rapture of the church, but he also testifies to the resurrection of the believer. The Bible talks about death for the believer as going to sleep. Now, you know what happens when you go to sleep. You go to sleep and you have no idea what's happened for the last, well, for me, it's like hour because I wake up every hour now. (laughs) And you sort of check out and there it is and then you wake up and, oh, okay. And, you, you know, you're not aware. That's death for the believer It's like entering into a whole other dimension of life. It's this door. Jesus said, I'm the door. It's Jesus taking us, and we, and I don't know what that's going to be, but I know what 1 Corinthians says. It says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, a twinkling of an eye, we're going to be changed. And I've said this before. I'll say it again because I love it. They say there's 10 twinkles to a blink. Now, you know how fast your blink is? Well, when we die... We are going to be ushered into the presence of God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So whatever that's going to be like, whatever that looks like, Paul in the Corinthians tells us it's like the seed planted, and out of the seed comes this glorious plant. There's glories of heaven. There's glories of earth. Something is going to be so radical that this mortal must put on immortality. This corruption must put on incorruption. And death's going to be swallowed up, and we are going to be with the Lord in glory. I don't know what that's going to be like, but I can't wait. Well, I have to wait, but I can't wait. (laughs) Now, I want to give you this from chapter 5 and move on to chapter 6 because this is glorious. I call it the gospel genealogy from Adam to Noah. And what I've asked, what, what James put into the computer here, these are the meanings of the names of these that we read in Genesis 5. Adam means man. Seth is appointed, not anointed, appointed. Enosh, subject to death. Canaan, sorrowful. Now, stop there. Man, appointed, subject to death, sorrowful. Next name, Malahel, from the praise and presence of God. Jared, one comes down. Enoch, dedicated. Methuselah, dying, he shall send. Lamech, to the poor, brought very low. And Noah, rest and comfort. That's the gospel right there in this genealogy before the judgment comes. And it's the same thing for us. Before the flood, walk with God. Here's how. Jesus came. He said, come unto me, all you who labor and have I will give you 
rest. There's comfort for our souls. There's rest for our souls. There's an assurance in, in what Jesus has done for us that, yes, judgment is coming, but thank God through Jesus Christ, he will deliver me once for all from all of it through my faith, and that's it, in what he provided for me to be saved from my sin, saved from judgment. Chapter 6, now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his day shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. There were the, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Now, honestly, I don't know what this means. I have read a lot of commentaries. There's a lot of debate on it. So rather than give you my opinion and might be wrong, <laughs> I will suggest to you that you go look at it because there's a lot of things you can read on it. Uh, the knowledge, the Bible knowledge commentary suggests possibly some think it's it's the line of Seth and the daughters of men with Canaan others believe they're actual demonic beings that had intercourse with human beings and produce these uh, and as you read these things there's a lot of problems in, in most of these uh, things so I don't want to I mean all as I know is this let me let me summarize it simply for you like this whatever our current positions let's not miss the obvious and that is this, that the passage clearly and simply reveals just how wicked the human race had become. Demonic influence, some believe it's demon-possessed, men of renown, whatever was happening here, it was wicked, and God said continually in men's hearts, continually. Violence and wickedness. And it, this happened from a perfect creation. Sin came into the world and men deteriorated and got more and more wicked. Day by day, the human race became more and more wicked until finally God said, I'm going I'm to destroy it all. Now, I would like you, if you would, please, to turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Because as God is warning the wicked world, he's saying to them, do not count his patience as slackness. 120 years, judgment will be withheld. But don't count those 120 years as God doesn't, it doesn't matter to God. Judgment will come. But God is saying, you got 120 years. So 2 Peter 3, beginning in verse 1, commentary, if you will, in, on Genesis. Beloved, now this is Peter the apostle, walk with Jesus, writing. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according, not, not walking with God, but walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? 
For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Now, even from the beginning of creation, all things didn't continue in that manner. Notice verse 5. For this they willfully forget. In other words, they know the truth, but they willfully say, I'm not going to go there. They willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. So their judgment came, the flood. Notice verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now reserved by the same word, God's word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. God promised, we'll see this next week, God promised in his covenant with Noah he would never destroy the earth again with water. He's speaking about another judgment that's coming of fire. Verse 9, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. In other words, God is eternal. He's outside of time. He sees it all. We don't. But let me say, what he's saying is judgment is coming by the word of the Lord. So the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Now, this is not a very good promise, judgment, but he will. As some count slackness, but as long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. Repentance. Not salvation, because salvation doesn't come until there is repentance. We, are not, we do not escape judgment until there is repentance. Repentance is the doorway into the heart of God and his provision for us through Jesus Christ that we need a Savior. There needs to be a sacrifice. So God's saying, I'm waiting patiently because I want you to come to repentance, to acknowledge the wickedness of your heart, the sinfulness of your life, and come and find the ark and being saved through judgment through Christ. Notice, but the day of the Lord will come. My brothers and sisters, it's coming. And the more that we see the deteriorating of our culture and our, and our world, the more we realize, you know, it's coming maybe sooner than we expect this judgment of fire on the earth. It will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be, notice, in holy conduct and godliness? Brothers and sisters, we are called to live as a testimony to the world in holiness and godliness. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which, what? Righteousness dwells. Oh, Wow. I have no idea. We have no idea. But you think of the glory of the creation of the earth before sin fell. And God has something in mind for us, something that he's going to be, we're going to be experiencing of a new heaven and a new earth. And oh, man, how we long for a new heaven and a new earth. That's God's promise. 
Yes, judgment will come, but after judgment, God is still not done. He will take care of the problem. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, we've got to keep looking. If we're going to have a testimony, we've got to keep looking forward to these things of holiness and godliness and being pleasing to God. We've got to look ahead, ahead, ahead. Looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace, be found by him in peace without spot, notice, and blameless. He's speaking about our testimony. He's sitting out walking with him. You cannot walk with God unless you're agreed. How can two Amos 3.3? How can two walk together unless they're agreed? God is a holy, righteous God. In order to walk with him, have fellowship with him like Enoch did and like Noah did, it necessitates a testimony that the world sees and understands and begins to see. That's what God's like. That's how God is. That's what God's promised. That's through us, my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord. Walk with God. He said, and consider the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, has written to you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, like Genesis chapter five, uh, 6. <laughs> now notice what he says, though. Which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction. I think it's very important that if you don't understand it, don't twist it. Don't twist it. There are many things that are in the file cabinet of waiting for further information. Don't twist the scriptures. It's okay to say, I don't know. I don't understand that. I'm not sure what that means. And I think it's also really important that we are having these iron sharpening iron discussions with people who don't agree with us who have different views, but who love the Lord. And there are a lot of differences within God's people. Can I hear an amen? A lot of differences in God's people. However, there can be no differences when it comes to Jesus Christ is, what he's accomplished on the cross, and how we are saved. There's only one ark God ever built. There's only one cross that paid the price for our sins, and that's the one of Jesus. We cannot differ on the cardinal doctrines of the Christian faith, but there are many things about which we can talk about and discuss. And I have found with those who don't agree with me on these, uh, these what are they, in all things charity, the things that are different, I have such great relationship because they rub me, they help me to think through what I'm, and, and by the way, I would also add this, watch out when all of a sudden you just want to sort of get alone by yourself and stay alone by yourself and come up with your own church. Do not forsake the assembly of yourselves together and so much more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we see the knowledge of the truth. In other words, when you're out of fellowship with other believers, you are going to find it easier to sin and to be led astray. We need the body of Christ. We need to be staying on that straight and narrow and that is rubbing, you know, and it, provoking one another to love and good deeds, understanding I need you, you need me. Now, I don't know why you'd need me sometimes, but you need me. That's what God said. <laughs> and all the members together are functioning so that we have a wholeness about the body of Christ, whether local or universal. There's a unity in the doctrinal positions, but there's also a unity in understanding I am called to love you, you're called to love me, and together we can walk with God and understand things in a much deeper manner and grow and becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And I say, Lord, please do the work. Do the work. 
If you're going to come to our CCS 101, I'm going to just share a little bit there about kind of Ephesians 4, what it's all about. It's unity, diversity, and maturity. That's what the church is here for, for us to have this kind of unity. So he says there, don't twist the script. They twist their own script, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. We're talking about walking with God. We walk with God according to his word together. He says, notice then, you therefore be loving. Now, Peter, he's the manly man, but he's all beloved, beloved. Since you know this beforehand, beware. Lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of what? The wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. And everyone said the last word of that chapter, amen. Amen. Now we get to Noah, this interesting other exception. Notice verse 3. The Lord said this. He warned them about judgment. Noah was 500 years old when Shem, Ham, and Japheth were born to him. 600 years old when the flood started. So for, for, and it says 120 years. So before his sons were born for 20 years, and then after his son are born for another 100 years, Noah, it seems, was going about faithfully preaching righteousness, and then about the 100-year mark, preparing an ark, knowing that what God had told him was going to happen. This is Noah. Now, as he's doing this, listen, no one's listening except his family. I would say this, if I might interject. Hey, even though no one else is listening, I hope and pray for my family that they're seeing in my life what it means to walk with God. When it's all said and done, my brothers, what we have is our family. And that's where it really matters. That's who sees it all. And if my sons and my daughter say, I saw in my dad someone who walked with God, I go, yes, yes. That's where God does the greatest work is in our marriages, in our families, in our, in our extended families, and they see it. And as Noah's going about for these years, no one's listening. Uh, if you're still at, go to 1 Peter 3.20. I'll begin to read. 1 Peter 3.20. These are all scriptures on Noah. It says there, Who formerly were disobedient once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through what? So how many people got saved? Eight. Now, I would say if you're an evangelist, and you're preaching, and you live for as long as Noah lived, and only eight souls? Uh, go to 1 Peter chapter 2, or 2 Peter 2, 4. 2 Peter 2, 4. God, now verse 5, did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. He was a preacher of righteousness. That's what Noah did. Now, Luke 17, I'll read this. You can mark it. Luke 17, beginning in verse 26, Jesus said this, 
And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So Jesus said, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. It is going to take the world by surprise, this judgment. Even though there's been preaching of the gospel since Jesus came, right from the earliest days, even though we're saying it, saying, many are called, few are chosen. So the Lord saw, verse, back, in, back in Genesis 6, he saw the wickedness, verse 5 that is, Verse 6, he was sorry. Now, this is a way of describing something we can't understand, the eternal God who knows all things. But in his heart, says he was grieved. Why? Because he lost the fellowship that he had created us to have with him through sin. It became wicked. Men turned from him, wanted nothing to do him except eight souls. He was grieved in his heart. And then verse 7, I will destroy, he said, whom I I have created, and God has that right, and God will judge. So now we get this mysterious but glorious exception, verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, it doesn't say Noah earned grace. It wasn't that God looked on Noah and said, oh, yeah, here's a guy that I can... No, he found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and I see this as Noah... In knowing God, looking into the eyes of God, and knowing he's a gracious God. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, John tells us that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. How do we see the grace of God? How do we find the grace of God? The grace of God is wrapped up in his son, Jesus Christ. He came that we might be saved by grace through faith. So we gaze into the eyes of Jesus. We believe in him. We confess him as our Lord. We repent of our sins, and he gives us eternal life. That's the grace of God. We've been saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. That's how we were saved. And then as we continue to gaze into the eyes of Jesus, we're transformed from glory to glory as we simply continue in this intimate relationship with the Son, Jesus, and we begin to see more and more the grace of God for us. And we can thank him for saving us. I thought of what the psalmist said, search my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of... See, that's the, I can look into the eyes of Jesus and tell him to search me. I can look into the eyes of Jesus and say, hey, chasten me, Lord, because you love me and you know me. Our fathers chasing that seem best to them. And I've done a lot of best to them chastening. Our fathers, our earthly fathers, as seem best to them, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his what? Holiness. So I said, Lord, I'm looking into your eyes of grace. I say, I need you to chasten me. I need you to correct me because whom the Lord loves, he chases and scourges every son whom he receives. If you're without chastening, then God's not dealing with us with a son. I don't go out and chasten anyone that's not my, my child. And I tell my kids that. You know, if it was, if they're not mine, so come here. <laughs> it's you I'm dealing with, pal. And God says that about you. Hey, I'm... 
I love you. Don't despise the chastened one. You see, that's to be able to look into the eyes of Jesus and realize in the eyes of Jesus there's a love that transcends all the things that might be painful, all the things that humble us before God, but that's for a good cause because God wants us to be partakers of his holiness, to walk in godliness and holiness and how we need the correction of God's word, the correction of the Holy Spirit, the correction in our relationships with other believers. We need that desperately and God wants us to know Don't despise my chastening because whom I love, I chasten. That's to look into the eyes of grace and realize that God has a purpose in all these things he's doing. So he says, make straight paths for your feet so that you're not going to re-injure yourself. So God says, okay, now we've dealt with this issue. Now let's walk on a path that's going to allow you to heal. And sometimes the healing path is so the grace of God in our lives. It might be being, you feel like you're set aside right now. Why, why, why? And yet God's doing a work of healing your life. That's the grace of God for you because he loves you. He's wanting to change things and heal things in our lives. He is the healer. Those who are, who are not sick don't need the doctor. We need Dr. Jesus often. That's the grace of God. We find grace in the eyes of Jesus Christ. We come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews, we look into the eyes of Jesus, seated on that throne. What's the throne of grace? It's also the mercy seat. And there God is gracious to us, long-suffering and patient. Paul said this, I love, in Acts. He said, as he's hearing about all these things that may come upon him in Jerusalem. They're going to, they're going to, been prophesied. They're going to chain you up. They're going to beat you. You're going to, and Paul said, none of these things move me. None of them. He's saying, I am walking with Jesus Christ. And these things, if they all happen, no, I, I'm not, I'm not finding pleasure in them. They're going to be painful. And Paul went through so much pain. He said, I know in whom I believed. He said, I know that he's with me in all of it. And Jesus had to come to him a couple of times and said, Paul, it's okay. I'm gonna, you're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. And he knew the grace of God in his life. And he said, so none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, that I may run my, finish my race with joy and the ministry that's been given to me. What is it? To testify to what? The grace of God. See, that's what we need. As Noah, find grace in the eyes of the Lord. Find grace in the eyes of Jesus, the heart of Jesus. And Paul's testimony continues. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He wrote to the Corinthians. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. And yet not I but the grace of God in me. See, Paul lived in the grace of God. He walked in the grace of God. And he said, the reason I'm doing what I'm doing is not so I get some trophies from you or some acknowledgement. I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm laboring more, but I'm, I'm just so moved that God would be so gracious to me. And Paul could say that because here he was killing God's people. Here he was rampantly going out and viciously throwing them in prison and seeing them killed and putting his, say, voting against them, kill them, 
to even kill them. Hateful toward Christians. And by the grace of God, Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, turned him upside down, inside out, and right side up. And he walked away from that. He couldn't even see. But there he's being led, this powerful man who had known the scriptures with a Hebrew of the Hebrews and raised as he was Jewish and thinking, I got it all. I got all the trophies. I got everything I ever need until he meets Jesus and realized it. And he realized, I have nothing. All these things are just like trash to me because even though I had all those things, I never knew Jesus. Then he said, and God, and I love this, God, who called me from my mother's womb. And I look back on my life, and you look back on your life, and you realize that God was working his plan for you even though you were completely unaware of it. And at some point in your life, I hope it's already happened, Jesus met you on your road to Damascus, and he turned you upside down Inside out and then right side up. He said, you're mine. You're mine. And you walked away from that time when that happened. And you knew you'd never be the same. See, that's what it is to look and find grace in the eyes of God. Why would he do that? Not for any account of mine, but on account of what he, in loving me, did for me. And we can just say, I am what I am by the grace of God. Paul said his grace was not in vain. It was real. He was the real. He got it. He knew it. And I believe that's what God is seeking to do, is that he would continue to get us looking into the eyes of Jesus and continuing to let his grace just bathe us, wash away, and give us a standing before him that's sure and steadfast. So Manoah was a just man because of the grace of God. This is verse 9. He was perfect, notice it says, in his generations. Then we get in chapter 7, verse 1, in his generation righteous. So his testimony, this grace of God that he found, lasted for generations. But it also was something that was the real deal with those that knew him and lived with him, that generation. He walked with God. And these are the things that came because of it. Verse 22, thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. You see, walking with God means we're obedient to God. Four times in these chapters, it speaks of Noah doing all that God commanded him. So he did. So he did. So he did. So he did. He was obedient to God. And brothers and sisters, that's what it means to find the grace of God. We can be obedient by the power of the Holy Spirit. The transforming work of the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Listen, these three sons grew up seeing a testimony of a man, their dad, who walked with God. And we read of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, that they, along with their wives, entered the ark. Now everyone else is scoffing, but not them. We read of these three sons, the whole earth was repopulated after the flood. We read of these three men that they had their own families born to them after the flood. By the way, we all came from Shem, Ham, or Japheth. So I don't know if you want to ham it up, you can. (laughs) How are we doing here? Okay. Verse 11. The earth also was corrupt before God. The earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth. Indeed, it was corrupt. 
for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now, I just, I, I don't know if you've heard this, but I just this morning saw this uh, news thing that down in Vancouver yesterday, I think it was, there was a middle, middle school basketball game. And it got out of hand. It began a riot with these people that were attending it. And they, it just became so out of hand. So the police came, and these kids surrounded the police officer and started cussing them out. And, I mean, I'm just going, it's just crazy. We are seeing so much lawlessness and violence as in the days of Noah. That's what happens when we forsake God. A world that forsakes God, there's going to be violence. I'm going I'm to get my way here. I'm going to have it my way. And what happens when there's lawlessness, somebody has to take control. And the reason that lawlessness is so evil is because God is, is seeking to do that, but it's a willing thing. But there are others that are going to do it. They're going to do it. People will trade their freedom for someone who will rule over them. It's amazing. God help us. This is how they shall make it. So he tells them to make this ark. Now, I, a couple of pictures. You've probably seen something in your days. Here's an, this is an artist's concept of Noah's ark. It was um, 510 feet long, 85 feet wide, and 51 feet high. Now, we'll get into more about details in our next study. Here's another picture you could put that kind of compares them. So it wasn't the biggest boat ever made. It was also made of wood. You have these other gigantic... Um, uh, you know, and the, the Noah's Ark made it. The Titanic didn't. <laughs> NASA, uh, uh, just to give you a size if this helps, you could put three space shuttles nose to tail on the roof of the Ark. Now, it had three decks. And so, again, we'll talk about that a little bit. Here's a final picture. And this is from Ark Encounter Theme Park in Kentucky. Some of you maybe have, have even gone there. I'd like to go there at some point. But this is an actual scale model of the Ark. And it shows clearly how, the, how all these... Animals could fit on how that all works. There's no problem with God's word. Can I hear an amen? He said, this is what you're going to do, Noah. And Noah did it, and it worked. Okay? And then we find in verse 18 that God said, I'm going to establish my covenant with you. What's the covenant? I'm going to keep you alive. I'm going to keep you alive, your family alive, and all these animals alive, because I'm going to start over. Aren't you thankful that God kept you alive so he could start over? He did it. He does it all the time. And so, <laughs> I thought about this. You know, when you get frustrated because you have to, of all you have to go through to get on an airplane? Remember good old Noah. Before he could get on the ark, first of all, he had to build it. And that took him 100 years. How much help he had, we don't know. He probably hired people to do it. And then once he gets on the ark, now imagine this, <laughs> for 370 days, or one, depending on how you want to look at it, for a year... He's on this ark with all these stinky animals. And I thought, you know, our house is a pet-free zone. It's not that I don't like dogs and cats. I just don't like them at my house. I thought, you know, that might be, that would probably cure any animal lover. They say, okay, I'm done with animals. But I thought, no, probably not. But I'll tell you, what would cure them? If you had to spend just a week on a Disney cruise with selfish people. Say, let me off. <laughs> the food's not going to, and we're just, you know, but Noah had nowhere to go. He had to stay on the ark, and he had to, as we'll look at next, in our next study, he had to wait for God. 
You have to wait for God. So in the flood next week, we have to wait for God. Wait for God. But before the flood, we need to walk with God. We need to walk with him. And so next week, we'll be visiting that. So my question in closing in prayer, is your testimony an exception in the world in which we live? Are you walking with God? Is it a testimony of righteousness and godliness and holiness? Does it have in it honesty and humility? The world's not looking for perfect people. The world's looking for honest people and humble people and people knowing that I'm just a beggar that knows where to find bread. Is that your testimony? And couple with that, Enoch, have you found the grace of God in the eyes of the Lord? Because that's what's going to get us through the flood. The testimony, and it's not going to be easy. It wasn't easy for Enoch. It wasn't easy for Noah. It's going to require grit and guts and faith. It's going to require seeking God with all our hearts. We've got to give ourselves continuously to prayer to the ministry of the word, to fellowship, that we might be built up, as Jude said, in our most holy faith. So would you bow your heads and let me pray in closing. As believers in the room, I would ask you just right now, just for a moment, please pray for anyone that might be with us today who has not come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we who believe understand there's only one ark, there's only one door, there's only one way by which our sins are forgiven is through coming to Christ, turning from them in repentance, receiving from him the accomplished work he did on the cross where God can forgive us of all of our sin and then through our faith in Christ, saved by grace through faith, he gives us new life. Here's the exception. No one comes to the Father except through him. That's the great exception. He's the only way so if that's you, as, your heads, as our heads are bowed, please be, just be praying. There's a battle going on right now for anyone here who doesn't know Christ. I'm going to ask you to just do three simple things. The first is just to raise your hand and say, I want to say yes to Jesus today. I've been fighting this. I've been battling my conscience, battling guilt. Maybe you've been feeling so empty, so like, like you just don't know what, why even continue on. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's all of those things. So you want to say yes to Jesus. You want to say, I want my sins forgiven. I want to know that when I die, I'm going to be ushered into this new, whole new realm of existence. You're going to, in other words, make your reservation in heaven today. I want to say yes to Jesus. That's number one. Just raise your hand. Secondly, I'm going to ask you, if you do, to stand up. And the reason is, Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If you do not confess me, neither will I confess you before my Father. Why, why would that be important? I believe it's so important because when you stand in front of people, you are making your, you are obeying the gospel. And when you obey God, he always backs up obedience. So when you stand, all your reasons, all your fears, all your excuses that you've been battling with maybe for even years of giving your life to Christ... God washes them away the minute you'd make your stand and say, I want to get right with God today. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand up, stand up, and then when you do, we're not going to embarrass you. 
we're going to cheer and ask you just to walk up to one of the tables. So that's what I'm just simply this morning. If that's you, as we're praying, just raise your hand and say, yes, today is, I want to say yes to Jesus today. And we're waiting and we're praying. It's the most important decision you will ever make, bar none. you stand and let's sing the last song together and then I'll close us with prayer. Hi, I'm Kevin Day, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel South. I really hope you enjoyed the message and that God spoke to your heart through it. If you'd like to know more about our church and find other messages to watch, head over to ccskent.org and I would love to meet you at one of our Sunday services. God bless you.